0: Good to be here. Uh, I want to talk about, my message is Jesus the Savage. Savage. I, I think, um, no, it's, it's Remembrance Day and, and there's, there's stuff going on about, you know, people de- uh, writing all over Winston Churchill's statue and stuff like that. I'm not really getting into that, but I will say this. I know from my history books, Winston Churchill isn't someone I would have liked to have worked for. He was, well, I, would, I said he would come over proud, obstinate. I think it would be the absolute nightmare to be around. But we love him anyway. He's, he's one of our heroes. And do you know why he's one of our heroes? Because I never had to work for him. I never had to be with him. I never had to be in the same room with him. And I think, it, I think that's the case of many of our heroes. We like him when they're far, far away, preferably decades, centuries in the past, and then we like him. I've got one which we use, um, you know, in, in Pentecostal churches. Our lovely Smith Wagglesworth, Wogglesworth. Wogglesworth Wigglesworth. Hero, he's one of my heroes. I don't know if he's one of your heroes. Put your hands up if Wigglesworth is one of your heroes. Yeah, I mean, drop-kicking babies off stage, punching dead people and seeing them come back to life. It sounds great if you weren't there. Can you imagine, you know, you're there in a hospital and he just goes and gets this corpse and starts punching it. I mean, I I want to be there once I knew the result, but not while it was going on. Smith Wigglesworth... um, there are some letters written to the AOG which aren't very nice from Smith Wigglesworth. He, he again, was a very difficult character to have around. He was, he was divisive. His preaching was divisive. He seemed to always be picking fights with, uh, with church leaders. Uh, as I said, these letters he wrote were scathing. He was a type of character who was passionate, focused, unapologetic, driven, savage. Smith Wigglesworth. And when we talk about Smith Wigglesworth and you could go through a whole load of his character traits, you might think, well, that's not very Christian, is it? That's not very loving. That's not very Christ like. And I think it's very funny when we make statements like that because I'm thinking, have people who make statements like, have you actually read the Bible? Have you actually read the Jesus that he's wrote about in the Gospels? Or do we just go to our lovely and we're going to have a nativity on, on the second Sunday of December? Do we go to our nativity with Jesus in a manger in a well, it doesn't stink. There's no animals around. We did that once, didn't we? But you know, there's no animals around. It's not smelly, it's not cold. I think we like to sanitize our heroes. And we like to sanitise our heroes in the Bible. We like to sanitise our Jesus. But we don't get to say what Jesus was like. We don't get to define Jesus in our own image, what he should have done, what he should have said, what he should have been like. He defines what he's like. And then as we gaze on him, as two Corinthians says, as as we gaze upon him, we are transformed into ever increasing glory into his image. His image, not him being transformed into our image, our thinking, our ways of doing things. You see, just like Smith Wigglesworth, Jesus was divisive. I was reading through. I think it was Luke. I was reading through one of the Gospels, and every time after Jesus preached, there was arguments breaking out amongst the Jewish people. I mean, I wouldn't like that if you know. I'm, I'm preaching here this Sunday morning, and then half the church turns on the other ch- half of the church, there's it's just panic and may- mayhem. But that's what happened when Jesus turned up crowds of religious people serving God would be fighting each other, arguing each other about what was right and what was wrong. Is he the Messiah or not? Has what he said. Is that right or not? I don't think it is. I've read my scriptures. I don't think what Jesus said is right. You'd have had those arguments when he was there. And then you get the image of Jesus who walks into a temple one day and gets incensed because... The religious leaders of the day are oppressing the people, putting burdens on them, making money out of them, so they couldn't get into the presence of God. If you want to worship God, you've got to use our money. You've got to go through our cash machines. You've got to use the things that we use. Putting pressures and putting bondage onto people. Now Jesus' response, this wasn't, let's pray about it. Jesus, faced with that image in that temple, didn't say a prayer, didn't even say, shall I tell you what, let's go and get the leaders and just have a little quiet word in their ears. No, Jesus was so incensed that he got, he made a whip and started driving people out, chucking the tables over, breaking the credit card machines, breaking down the merchandise. Did people get hurt? I don't know, but it sounds like they could have done he wasn't there as a nice, calm, mild, meek Jesus. He was incensed that people couldn't worship God, that the worship worshiping God had become idolatry, that people were making money out of it, and his passion drove him to violence. Can I say that? Yes. Jesus didn't stop there. When he talked, to the, he seemed to have a thing for religious leaders. He called the Pharisees. He said, your father is the devil is an incredible insult your father is a devil but it wasn't just the religious leaders he's got Peter there and Peter you know in one minute he's praising Peter because he's he says something prophetically the next thing Peter like takes him to a side to give him a bit of counsel about I don't think you should be going back to Jerusalem because they're going to kill you and Jesus says to one of his disciples get behind me Satan oh I wonder what would you would do if I said that to you he wasn't meek and mild. He goes up a mountain one day, Mount of Transfiguration we we read about. He only takes three out of his 12. I mean, that's divisive already. What about the ones which didn't get to go? And then when he comes down, he finds the rest of them trying to cast a demon out of a kid. Now, these, they, the rest of them, they, they've been left out of seeing Moses and, and Elijah in the flesh. I mean, that's a great thing. They, they missed out on that. They missed that that time with Jesus. Jesus comes down, see them trying to cast this, this demon out, this kid, unsuccessfully. And let me get, get the wording right. He says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Could you imagine if I, if I took you on a little mission and you were praying for someone and they didn't get healed and I said that to you? Wow! See, Jesus, I, I talked about the salt of the earth. Jesus was salty. He was passionate. He was fiery. You didn't get on the wrong side of him. I think it's time for the church to awake from its sleep. And to arise from the dead so that Christ will shine upon us. I think it's we've become too tepid, too lukewarm, too lethargic, too apathetic. I think the church needs to get off its couch and throw itself into a battle. What do we have conversations about to do with church service? Well, I don't really like the coffee. It's instant. Why can't we have real stuff here? Don't really like the biscuits. Oh, I didn't really like the worship today. It was, didn't really move me. It wasn't my type of songs. I don't particularly like that singer. And I think we need to stop looking at church from a worldly consumer point of view and start realising that when we open our mouths, things change, chains are broken, people are healed. We are changing the spiritual atmosphere in Cottingham over our lives that we're singing it's not an entertainment show it is warfare it is battle it is encountering the king of kings the holy one of Israel lethargy there is a fight going on for this world we need to stop moaning about our culture We need to stop moaning about things that never seem to change and open our mouths and take hold of the soul of the Spirit, the Word of God, and start speaking it into the atmosphere until we see heaven come to earth. I want to see Jesus' prayer answered. It hasn't yet. We still haven't seen the fullness of heaven come to earth, the fullness of his will come to earth. I think we need to stop moaning about it and get on with it. As I read before, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What is the image of Jesus that we are being transformed into? Let me read Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He is a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter." He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is the image that we are being transformed into warriors, ready to fight injustice, ready to fight evil, ready to fight sickness. Jesus, while he was on this earth, was a savage. And that sounds pretty savage to me. Jesus coming back, ruling with an iron scepter. People say there's no wrath of God anymore, yet somehow Jesus is coming back with a winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Hmm, that hasn't been fulfilled yet, has it? So, how do we become more like Jesus. I'm going to focus on on two things that I see Jesus did while he was on this earth. And I want us to to learn some from that and and apply them to our lives. The first is this. He had radical obedience. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll, I'll read it to you. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will... But yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is there in the perfect will of God. He's still praying. Just because he knew the will of God doesn't mean he stopped praying. And he is there in anguish. He did not want to go to the cross. Who would do? He would want to be humiliated, crucified, tortured. Yet he was willing to do that because Father said, this is the path. We have a, an expression in our, in our culture, no one tells me what to do. Well, Jesus certainly let the, let the Father tell him what to do. We have a, we've Christianized that a bit into our Protestant worldview when we say, the only authority I need is the Bible. What that really means is, the only authority I need is what I've read the Bible and how I've interpreted it and the verses I choose to read. If you read the Bible, it tells you you do need authority other than the Bible. We need radical obedience that we will do. What Jesus said asked us to do, what the Father tells us to do, even if it causes us to be in anguish, even if it causes us to sweat blood. We have a, 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 a gospel which has been preached, a gospel of comfort where it's and it gets put like this: I won't do this until I have peace about it. <sighs> I don't know about you, but when the most dramatic things that I've seen God move and see, see Him heal people crazily, I've had to step out, and I didn't feel very peaceful. I felt scared. I felt a bit of trembling and shaking. Paul says, "I work out my salvation in trembling and in sorry, in fear and trembling." If we buy into this, in this Christianity gospel which has been preached, that basically, you come to Jesus and everything will be fine, and we interpret that into our emotions, we think that as soon as we feel a bit funny, then we must be doing the wrong thing. As soon as it gets hard, then God must not be for me. It must not be the will of God. And yet Jesus is there in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he's following the will of God. I think we need to stop trusting our feelings. Yeah. And trusting the word of God, yeah. trusting what he says, even when it feels horrible, yes. even when it causes us pain. I do know what it is to you know, people say, do you feel like a check in your spirit? I understand what that is. I've experienced that. Uh, I remember being, uh, Jared's at the back, I remember Jared. we were at your house and we were looking at uh, a church for the collective and uh, there was this minister and everything seemed to be right for the, for the church. It was like going really well. I was like, why wouldn't we take this guy? And, and uh, I just said, yeah, but it's just something I don't know. It's just something wrong. And we're so good we didn't take that guy because um, he, he committed for all of hundreds of thousands of pounds. So, you know, it was good we didn't. Know. I understand that, but there is this peace that we, that we try and get into our Christian understanding, which is based on feeling which is not of God, but of our own emotions. The culture tells us to trust our heart, trust our feelings. Luke Skywalker, or, or, or was it not Luke Skywalker, Star Wars? Trust your feelings, Luke. That is not Christianity. Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? When we trust our own desires, when we trust our heart, we can be deceived You see that all the time when when you see someone going out with someone who you know is bad for them and yet they go, yes, but it feels so right. Yes, but he's so wrong for you. I'm sure you've seen that. And if you think that's an Old Testament thing, Jesus says all types of evil flow from the heart. Romans 13 verse 4 says this, clothe yourself in Christ Jesus and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to see a radical church grow up obeying God, not living lives according to their own desires and dreams and feelings and instead understand that when we went to the cross, we died. Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's how we get radical warriors for Christ. I'm dead. Christ lives in me. Whatever he wants, he gets. Radical obedience. The second point is radical grit. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is long-suffering. We don't normally talk about it. Well, maybe I get a fruit of being suffering for a long time. where, Where does that come from, the Holy Spirit? It's talking about being able to endure under pressure, under persecution. Endure when you've had a prophecy and it's not going well and it's still not going well and everybody's telling you it's wrong and yet still I'm enduring because I know I heard God. It's enduring in, in the workplace when, when, when you're being attacked for, you, for, for your Christian beliefs. That is what long-suffering is, being able to endure and endure and endure. I, I like to a couple of Wednesdays ago, Leonie Webster was, was, was talking in the 714 and, and she mentioned this and I loved it, so I'm nicking it. Uh, she said, uh, we've moved past the microwave generation. And it's true. I was there the other day and I put my soup in for two minutes and I was like, come on, come on, come on. I've got to stir it again and put it in again for another two minutes. That's not instant, is it? We're used to now that we get on our phones and I can have an instant hit of a video that I like, whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok, whether it's YouTube. YouTube are now doing shorts, copying. We live in a generation where everything is instant. I get my books downloaded instant. I don't have to go out to the store to buy my videos. I don't have to go through that thing of picking out your video. It instantly downloads to my TV. And we seem to have lost the art of waiting on God. Because we've lost the art in our lives of patience. I remember Lillian was talking about, you know, she would go to to the library and it'd be brilliant to get a book because there's that whole waiting and the whole joy around it. And there is a whole joy about waiting that we lose if we expect everything to be instant. Jesus waited 30 years before he started his ministry. And then after he was baptised in the Jordan, he went to the desert to, to fast for 40 days. And that wasn't good enough. Even then, he he was then subject subject to temptation by the devil. James 4 verse 7 tells me this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is not necessarily I press that button on my vending machine of prayer and it instantly is answered. Jesus faced the devil three times before he fled. I love it when instantly God does stuff. Sometimes it takes a little bit of contending, a little bit of fighting, a little bit of grit, a little bit of, of picking ourselves up. Where it says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, it sounds like it's instant. That's not what the verse means. It says no weapon formed against you will prosper in the end. You get to win. It doesn't mean you don't have to fight. It doesn't mean it's not going to cause you energy and, and, and even, shall I say, stress and work. No weapon formed against you shall prosper means there may be a little time of fighting, but you win in the end. We need grit and determination in our prayer lives. But we don't just pray a prayer once. We pray until we see things happen. See... I hear this sometimes and I'm sorry if you said it to me and I've pulled a funny face uh, because I'm trying to be pastoral but sometimes I just, my head explodes. Um, People say that they pray for something and it didn't happen so that must have been the will of God and depending on the situation, it depends what I say, but wait, wait a minute, you pray for something and it didn't happen, that doesn't necessarily mean that your prayer was answered. How many of us have prayed for healing and not seen someone get healed on the first prayer? And I know that it's God's will to heal people. So, some, so I don't want to just pray and when I don't get the answer I want after a certain amount of time give up and think that wasn't the will of God. We need that grit and determination so that we see heaven come on earth, that we pray heaven onto earth, that we pray God's kingdom come. I know it's God's will that none shall perish and yet I read my Bible and I know that some do. I want us to have such radical prophetic insight. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. The say, say that you, you know that this job is for you. And you put your job application in. And it gets sent back saying, sorry, this wasn't your job offer. And you go... God said I was having that job I'm going to keep praying and praying and praying and then you hear that someone has actually been given that job I'm still not giving up I'm praying I'm praying I'm praying until I see the fruit you know sometimes things have to go for a course and die before we see God's miraculous raising power let's look at the cross Jesus is on there on Good Friday the disciples think he's lost the Pharisees think he's lost the Romans think he's lost the devil even thinks he's lost it takes, it takes two days in the grave before he rises again. This is what radical grit sometimes does. Though it looks like it's dead, though it looks like my dream is dead, though it looks like that prophetic word is dead, I'm going to carry on and pray. I'm going to carry on and push. I'm going to carry on and believe until I have all that God has called me to have. Yes, yes. Not just giving up when it gets hard. Not just giving up when it looks like in the natural it's not happening. Supernatural faith. Supernatural determination. Long suffering. I want to hear prayers of miracles. Miracles. Sometimes they're instant. Sometimes it looks like they're instant. But it was decades of prayer behind them. Dave, can you come back up? I want us to pray that Break Every Chain song again. So, what we're going to do today is we're going to get up on our feet and we're going to start fighting. We're going to fight as radical, obedient servants of God. We're going to fight as radical, grit-filled people of God. Most of all, Radically overwhelmed and full of the Holy Spirit, children of God. I think it's time to take the training wheels off. When we pray for something and it doesn't happen, don't just go, oh, never mind. But go, come on. I know this is what the scripture says. This person should be healed. I'm going to carry on. The Bible says that our God is a warrior. Exodus 15, verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Isaiah 42, their Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. So we're going to go to war. Let me give you some more scriptures. Ephesians 6 verse 10 Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power Put on the full armour of God So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes We need to put on the armour of God We need to fight We, We don't just let life come over us We define what life is like 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says this Be alert and of sober mind Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is ongoing, the same kind of sufferings. We don't just accept the circumstances. We don't just accept that the devil's attacks. We fight him. We resist him. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4, you'll notice. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take forward every captive to obey Christ. We have the weapons. I wear this poppy and I pray this never happens again. But if we don't go to war in the spiritual heavens, what's going to happen on this earth? I don't know. I don't want this to happen again. We need to go to war. Will you stand with me? Oh, Maha. Why don't you start praying in tongues? You pray in tongues? Oh, shit.